With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we have a packed episode today as we are going to be discussing the Sabres' most recent game against Seattle. We're going to be talking some injury updates, and we're going to be talking most prominently about the fact that the Sabres were getting some national recognition on Wednesday, and not for any of the right reasons. But back to the top, Taylor. We had asked at the end of last episode, could the Sabres do the improbable, that being win three games in a row? And that answer is a resounding no, as the Sabres lost to the Seattle Kraken 5-2 to two at home, continuing their just complete and utter embarrassment against Seattle. And Taylor, in fact, for you, this game, you were at the game, and yes. you had said prior to us recording here that it was so boring that you fell asleep. Is that correct? Yeah. I had dreams, two of them, both of them with my father in them. It's a little peculiar. I'm older now than he ever was by 20 years. So in a sense, he's a younger man. Anyway, I don't remember it too well, but it's about meeting him in town somewhere and he gave me some money. I think I lost it. The second one, it was like we was back in older times and I was on horseback going through the mountains of the night and going through this pass in the mountains. It was cold and there was snow on the ground and he rode on past me and kept on going, never said nothing, just going by, rode on past. He had this blanket wrapped around him and his head down. He rode past, I seen he was carrying fire and a horn the way people used to. I could see the horn by the light inside it, and about the color of the moon. In my dream, I knew he was going on ahead. He was fixing to make a fire somewhere out there and all that dark and all that cold. And I knew whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. Wow. Went to my car and left. Wow. That almost sounds as though it's the, the dream that could have been pulled out of a, a critically acclaimed movie of some kind. It's so vivid. I felt like I was there. Yeah. The like weirdest I'm... thing. It was, you know, it's sometimes in your dream, it's two things. It was my dad. It was also Lindy Ruff. Oh. I don't know what to make of that. Wow. Crazy. The symbolism that's got to be within that. Anyways, though, no country for old men references aside, Taylor, you were at this game, though, for real. And by by the looks of it and by the sounds of it from watching, uh, not exactly the most friendly environment to be in if you are a Buffalo Sabres player. No. People were pissed. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Yeah, and it started the way so many weekday games start these days, quietly. I noticed that walking in, walked by the odd club, and it was not that crowded like 10 minutes before the game. Got in line uh, to get food right before the game started. There's barely any line for food or beer or anything like that. It wasn't like it was, you know, two years ago where it was almost entirely empty, but not a great crowd. But, you know, it's a Tuesday night with Seattle, and that's the way things are these days. And then, you know, things were – bordering on getting exciting in the first 10 minutes they had a great uh, start it, surprisingly outshot yeah, seattle 1915 in the first period you should say uh they outshot them 17 to 6 in the first 11 minutes that's probably better yeah yeah uh and then things you know obviously they went off the rails we'll get into the game in a minute but from a crowd perspective it got really bad in the third a lot of people left it was it it got quiet and then it got loud in terms of booze near the end of the game and some people in particular, you know, when it gets quiet like that and there's not that many people there, you can hear individual people yelling. There was a lot of people yelling, you know, fire everyone, things like that. Things, sorry, things like that. And then you get, you know, someone threw a beer on the ice. I just missed that. I left with like 10 seconds left. Uh, I don't know if people noticed there wasn't a what, whatever third period, third TV timeout in the third period because the last six minutes of the game were there was no whistles mm-hmm. until like the last second. So I got up at that last second with like less than 10 seconds left. And I think someone threw the beer on the ice while I was turning around. Cause I, wow. I, I, I missed it. I heard official reports were claiming that it was not only a beer, it was a beer and a high noon. A high noon as well. Wow. Yeah. Well, those aren't cheap at the game. So hell no, they are not. Yeah. It was an ugly one. You finally get a good start out of these guys. And then Alex Tuck in his post game, I believe it said something to the degree of like, you know, you can't just have the the great start that we had. And then one bad play happens that doesn't go your way. And then boohoo. And we just sit back on our heels after that. And that's kind of how this game really felt. Like you said before, they got off to a commanding start in the early goings of this one, which was a great sign. You know, it's really funny. I, I brought him up before on the podcast a couple of times. My really good friend, Kev, we text pretty much through like every Sabres game, huge fan of the team. And he is maybe the most pessimistic Sabres fan I think I have ever met. And he, well, one of the most pessimistic he's up there for sure. He texted me, within that you know first 10 minute window being like something to the effect of like these idiots are about to drag me back in again aren't they and i was like they're looking good but i don't know if i'm ready to go that far quite yet and wouldn't you know folks just a quick couple hours later we're back to where we've been so many times throughout this season feeling angry annoyed frustrated and just overall feeling like this team is just wildly underperforming right now and We've said it before, we've said it again, it's inexcusable. I think that the thing that is very frustrating about this year, and I don't want to say that it's necessarily taking fans' eye off the ball, but it has been a trend for them because of the fact that they haven't been able to string together a good winning streak, and at the same time, they really haven't had any significant losing streaks. You know, it's been a lot of you win one, you lose two, you win one, lose two. Um, it hasn't been anything like that. And in those wins, you see something that is maybe in a, a, you know, an encouraging aspect of the team's performance that kind of leads us to being like, okay, is this the point that they're turning a corner? And I think that we're at the point now that that has happened so many times where we think they're turning a corner and then they fall flat that we're just left with the fact that this team is not good enough and it's not nearly as good as the organization thought it was going to be. I'd say it's probably about on par 
with where maybe a lot of national folks thought they would be who weren't as bullish on the team as many fans were, maybe as even we were as well, thinking that they would be able to sneak their way into the wild card or third place conversation in the Atlantic. But you just got to ask yourself, you know, this, this continues to happen over and over again, where we think that there's maybe a light coming at the end of the tunnel and then another avalanche happens and we're just closed right back in. And so it's getting to the point now that, you know, you and I, we do this podcast twice a week. And so we very much are covering a lot of these seemingly drastic sways and how we're feeling about the team. It's never really like full on optimism. And it really hasn't been after like the first couple weeks of the season, it kind of turned back into uh, a bit of the doom and gloom with a, a hint of optimism here or there where something looks promising, or we lean into that because we have to talk about it when things start to look better. Of course, you know, we overwhelmingly talk about the negative here because there is a majority uh, of negatives that we're experiencing and that we've been seeing throughout this season here in the off season, what have you. But we try to maintain at least some level of optimism. And when they look good, we want to talk about it. The thing is though, is that to my point before, I, I just think that we're past the point of them being able to legitimately turn a corner. I think that what we're seeing from them right now, not necessarily because of the roster granted that I do think that a lot of this does fall on guys just not showing up and, and just not being, even a, a fraction of the version of themselves that they were last year. But I, I just, I think this comes down to the fact that there is something that is clearly not working and you can't pin it all on the players. And we have these conversations where we go back and forth about Granado, what have you. And this, this is completely independent of Adams because I think everybody's pretty fed up with how he's been handling things. But with Granado, it's this back and forth of, is he the guy? Is he not the guy? They look good here. They look bad there. What have you? And I'm, again, I, I feel like I've said this in the past few episodes or over the past couple of months, I've said this a handful of times that it's it's to the point for me now where you hold the players accountable for sure. You absolutely should. Rasmus Dahlin, not been good enough this year. Dylan Cousins, not been good enough. Tage, not been good enough. With the exception of maybe like, three or four guys really the, the, the key contributors here have not been good enough on this team. So that's fine. We will take that into account. Adams again is completely independent of this conversation because we're, we're talking about the on ice product right now. And of course he has uh, you know, his fair share and his very real share that we can get to after this, that uh, he should be on the hot seat just as much as Granado for that matter. But again, I'm just going back to this idea that like, they're not this bad. The team is not this bad. The makeup of players on this roster, while it may not be a playoff contender, a Stanley cup contender, they are not as bad as this. They sure as hell aren't. And we saw that last year. Yeah, I would say the, the easiest way to think about it is you should be mad at Kevin Adams because he put a team on the ice that was likely to be like in the range of last year, the 85 to 95 point range uh, on the playoff edge, considering that that's their range, pretty likely to miss the playoffs, had a chance to be a wild card and didn't really choose to improve, especially in net, where if you really want to get in the lower end of that range, that's where the possibility was to really slip up. You should be mad at Granado because they're not hitting that Bar. They're on exactly. pace for 76 points right now. They're 10 points below the low end. And if they had, you know, like 875 goaltending all year, goaltending was just diabolically bad, then I would kind of get it. But that's not the case. And they're not even handling their goaltending, I don't think, in a good way, which we'll get to later. It, 
I think on one hand, you can blame some individuals. Darlene is so much worse, especially in the past month or so, than he's been in the past. It's it's crazy. He He's still scoring goals, which is great. Like, that's something they've struggled with. And he's still going to have a respectable point total at the end of the year. But he really hasn't been the same guy in offense. And he's been a mess on one of the, the big important things that he's supposed to be great at, that he's been great at in the past, which is breakouts and playing in the neutral zone. I think one of the big reasons the Sabres struggle so much in the neutral zone is that Dalene has turned into this like very sloppy player and very lazy passer who it turns into a ton of turnovers or passes a guy skates. That's not, that hasn't been good enough. Not to get too much into Dalene, but you know, Tuck and Tage have been on and off compared to where their standards should be a little bit due to injury cousins way below his standards. And we went over recently how many guys all over the roster haven't been as good as we think they should be. That includes Samuelson. That kind of includes Owen Power not taking the next step. Yep. It, it kind of encompasses the – well, uh, Gergensen's is another guy. Uh, encompasses the entire team's s- slow starts. Or like last night's a good example of them crumbling uh, when one thing goes wrong. Or in certain games, just having a totally feeble offense because the other team decided they want to muck up the neutral zone. And that really gets me to – that's on Granado. That's all on Granado. If you 100%. have – it's kind of the old adage of if you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. If you run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. If you have one player that's underperforming of Dowling's stature, that sucks. If you have a ton of guys underperforming, you got to start looking at the coach. You can't just get a whole new team. Mm, well said. Can I say one thing real quick. Please. Yeah. I have a point, uh, re- not a rebuttal. I have something to add on to one of your points, a question that I want to ask you, but yes, go ahead. All right. Just quickly. Nick Saban retired. What? Yep. Did this just get announced right now? Just right now, yeah. So people at home are going to know this already, but because Pete Carroll was the story today, Pete Carroll is moving into the front office for Seattle. He's not going to coach anymore. And within one hour, Nick Saban also retires. Really trumped Pete Carroll's uh, uh, end of his coaching career. That's pretty crazy. Wait, wait. That is wild. Do we think that this is actually him retiring or do we think this is something with like getting out of a contract to coach elsewhere? Like what's the Chris Lowe from ESPN says he is retiring. Wow. Crazy. Wow. So yeah, well, I'm sure we can uh, move on in a second. Yeah. We're not college football experts, but I think as a casual college football fan, who's a casual fan of most sports in America, Nick Saban is easily on my Mount Rushmore of coaches of my lifetime, which is basically the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, probably the best. And I also say I'm excited for college football to not have him. Yeah, because, me too. <laughs> uh, Alabama is kind of like a, a Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers type character every season. <laughs> even if they're either they're just an unstoppable killing machine or they're dead. But are they really dead kind right. of every year? So, yeah. Analogy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Bill Simmons would have been proud of me. He is proud of you, Taylor. Don't you worry <laughs> about that. I, I did want to ask you something, though. Going back to Darlene, I, I had brought it up. God, it was probably w- within the last few weeks. I had made a point that I felt like one of the problems that the Sabres were having with a lot of their breakouts was the fact that it felt like a lot of the forwards were drifting out of the defensive zone and in and up through the neutral zone before the puck was even past the faceoff dot. And it really, I feel like last night there was a few instances of it um, in the, I believe in the Pittsburgh game, I'm, I'm remembering a few instances of it. 
that it feels like that is just uh, uh, again this could is something that feels like it comes down to coaching as well kind of tying the two points in but is that something that you you've been noticing or you noticed last night at all that the forwards are just drifting too far out of the defensive zone before the puck is even off of a defenseman's stick and it it just feels like again it's to the point of these unsuccessful stretch passes that just aren't working and are leading to turnovers in the neutral zone and it just feels like their breakouts are very very messy and and discombobulated because of that did you catch any of that last night yourself yeah i think that leads to a lot of odd man rushes the other way i think that was pretty clear last night even though Levi actually did save some of those that was good you know the bright spot for his performance but yeah I, i noticed that there's a combination of the forwards kind of looking to get out of the zone too quick, or I guess it, the problem isn't so much of this, all the forwards. It's that there's not just like one guy who seems to be hanging back or having any understanding that this could go the other way. Because I think a lot of times, especially when Dalene and power were occasionally on the ice together, that it just seemed like neither of them, like they were, neither of them was the guy that's like, I'll hang back. I got you, bud. It was a lot of times it felt like, wow, they're, they're both kind of cheating, and then every forward is too. And even when it's there's one defenseman back, it looks like it. I don't know. I, I maybe it's, it's part of Granado's system of guys playing better. So I think centers just have to be more defensively responsible in general. I know last Agreed. year, really happy with how things were going. Tage and Cousins uh, did not have good defensive metrics. Pretty pretty brutal ones actually. So. I don't know. I just don't think that those guys have been particularly uh, defensively responsible. Also, if you're going to just put guys in different lines, do it in practice. Can I, as a quick side too, can I throw, can I throw an idea out there really quick? I was thinking about it last night during the game. And as I was chatting with, with Cav yesterday, it had kind of just come up and I, I, I just thought about it and think it is something at least worth exploring. Granado last night during the game, Pretty early on, I think they only had like one or two shifts together, took Tage off the top line and put middle stat uh, between Skinner and Tuck. It is no secret that middle stat obviously has been having a great year this year. Uh, those three do work together. They showed that last year. They've showed it at times this year that they, they do work. Tage, as we talked about, really, you know, there's injuries involved there, but he hasn't been finishing nearly to the degree that he we know that he's capable of. I was thinking about it because another underperforming player on this team is Dylan Cousins. And I feel like Granado has had Quinn, Cousins, and Paterka for the most part attached at the hip with one another. I would like to see Tage in between Paterka and Quinn. What do you make of that? What are your thoughts about that? And then you move down Cousins and play him with Benson and Greenway. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's right that Tage is on the third line. like that, And I don't think that line really worked, to be honest. No. And I didn't either. I gotta say that's kind of what I was getting at before. Like they look discombobulated. I don't. I don't know. They have, do they have chemistry? Do they practice together that much? If you want to move Casey up to the first line, I get it, hundred percent. But I also, I guess, with the whole uh, issue here, what threw a wrench into all of this is that Cousins has been so bad. Because the obvious, the top nine should be so obvious. It should be so easy. It should right, be right. the top two lines from last year. And then you have Benson Greenway uh, getting centered. Sorry, Benson and Greenway being centered by Middlestad. And it's like, oh, easy. And then the fourth line could be some kind of rotation of Krabs, Gergensons, Robinson, Olofsson, whoever else. But it, things can't really work that way, even when healthy, because Cousins doesn't, he's not really holding up his end of the bargain. So he shouldn't be getting the minutes that uh, Paterka and Quinn deserve. So, like, I kind of, I, I would like to see Tage there. This should be another trying things phase because 
this is it, man. We we said this stretch had to be immaculate. It's not. So no. stop worrying about that stuff. Uh and yeah, try try things like that that might work. Get into problem solving mode. Yeah, exactly. Or you know what? Stay and pretend there's absolutely no problems and everything's about to turn around mode. I'm <laughs> sure it'll work. It's great. Call Darcy Regeer. He probably thinks that's an interesting idea. Oh, I'm sure he, he thinks it's great. Absolutely. Um, well, okay, let me throw something else at you here because I feel like it's turned into a thing that he's been quite overlooked. But are we just, like, done trying with Peyton Krebs at this point? Like, is is Granado just – has he given up on trying to see if there's any kind of offensive ceiling there? Because I went and looked – I think so. I went and looked today, and Peyton Krebs on the year has been averaging 12.42 of ice time, his average time on ice. And, again, he's had his moments this year, but we know what he is. But Jordan Greenway is averaging 16.31 of ice time. Pretty much just about four more minutes of ice time per game than Peyton Krebs. Is that I, – I mean, and also, like, Gergensen's – same thing. Gergensen's is at 12-11 time on ice. Do you really want Peyton Krebs to just consistently be getting the same ice time as Zemgis Gergensen's or Eric Robinson or in such a, a significantly less amount than, than Jordan Greenway? I, I mean, what are we doing here? And that, I think, speaks to, again, as we're talking about this being the time to try things out and get different looks because clearly things are not working. Like, what are we doing with Krebs, man? It, it feels like his his fate is sealed here and that there's a, a very high likelihood that he's not going to be a Sabre this time next year. Yeah, I agree with that. It's weird that they've been so unwilling to try things with him. Like, I don't, I don't remember what game it was. I, I meant to bring it up on here, but they had Jost as the top-line center. That was, I don't know, like a week before they just sent Jost. They waved Jost. They were so not unimpressed with him, but so unattached to him. But they're like, yeah, sure, let's give him the top line center spot. Um, but that's, I mean, that's basically uh, kind of what annoys me about this. It annoys me about the whole Krebs thing, because why do you not just give that to him as a shot? And you have to be trying things. Yep. So you have to be figuring these things out. If you made up your mind about Krebs, then why are you married to him playing pretty much every game? I don't, I mean, I wouldn't get that in that case. So like at this point, he's young enough that there, he could still be something. So why not see if he's going to be something? Why not give him some of these opportunities to play with God? Like in that situation, I'm not saying make him the first line center, but that game in particular, are you going to do Jost there? Do Krebs instead, obvious. Just even try and do, what if even, I mean, if, if Granado is insistent on keeping that second line intact, and again, this isn't even necessarily an indictment of Greenway as much as it is of how they've handled Krebs, but why not move Greenway down to the fourth line and try a third line out of Tage centering Krebs on the left and Benson on the right? Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean, we got to try something here. And the problem with it, too, is that it feels as though the organization, you know, once in every blue moon, throws him on the third line for a game or two and then it's like, oh, well, he didn't score a hat trick. So back to the fourth line you go without giving him any real kind of an extended look and not giving him nearly the opportunities that they have made a priority of giving Jordan Greenway as well, I might add. 
Yeah, that's true. I, I don't I don't really get it. I don't see why Peyton Krebs would have lost his opportunities when Greenway still gets them. Right. And I don't mind Greenway right now, but there's nothing that Greenway's done where it's like, oh man, this guy's he's gotta be in the top nine. Right. Yeah. And especially Absolutely. with the standing of where the team is right now. Yeah, definitely. Oh my god, it's brutal. Well, before we hear a quick word from our sponsors, Taylor, or sponsor, I should say. One thing to note as well, unfortunately, Sabres forward Jeff Skinner missed Wednesday's practice due to an upper body injury. The team announced after practice. Granado said that Skinner had imaging done and that the team will wait for results uh, for more information. So there's not really a whole lot that we know on that right now, but that would be a major blow to the Sabres forward group if Skinner is forced to miss an extended amount of time. Before, though, we get into what we're really excited to talk about, or, well, excited is probably a bad word, but what we're excited to kind of dig our heels in about is the Jeff Merrick story that was going around today, or I should say podcast uh, clip that was going around today. But before we get to that, Taylor, Let's hear a word from DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks with $200 instantly in bonus bets. So you may know that tonight, Thursday night, the Buffalo Sabres are taking on the Ottawa Senators. The Disappointment Bowl, the two biggest bum-loser franchises in the league are taking each other on. And because it's in Buffalo, and maybe because the Sabres have actually somehow a slightly higher points percentage, minus 130 favorites on the money line. So check that out if you're interested. And if you're interested in that or any other bets on basically any sport in existence, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now with promo code THPN. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www1800 gamblernet New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Void Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. And we're back. All right. Well, as we mentioned before, Jeff Merrick on his podcast today went in at the Sabres regarding their handling of Devin Levi, uh, essentially saying things to the degree that general managers around the league, that there's not another general manager around the league that would let something like this happen. And that other teams are perplexed at how they're handling Levi, um, you know, questioning what development model they're trying to follow with this and essentially making the point that we've made on this podcast many, many times and that many other folks have made who have <laughs> watched this situation unfold, which is the fact that nobody really goes from college to the NHL like that who's a goalie. Nobody makes the jump from the amateur ranks to the professional level right off the bat as a goalie of, of his age, as a 21-year-old. And... I think what's interesting about this, Taylor, is that even just scrolling through Twitter, there was a handful of people that were going back at it, saying things to the degree of, you know, goaltending isn't even one of the the biggest issues for the Sabres this year. Wrong. So, well, wrong. yeah, which is super, super wrong. Talking about. 
other people saying things like, like, well, Levi is the best one that they have right now in the organization. And it gives him, it gives them the best chance to win rolling him out as compared to UPL or as compared to Eric Comrie. I got news for you guys. First of all, Taylor, yes, you are correct that he, it is a problem. Goaltending is an issue on this team. Again, we're, we're, I think living off of the, average to somewhat promising start that we had in net this year and that run that UPL had, but goaltending has been bad. There was a couple of goals last night that like Levi, it doesn't even matter if it's Levi or anybody else. You gotta have. Okay. And then the other side of it is again, the people who are saying stuff about how, you know, he's the best one that we have in house. And so you have to roll him out this, that, and the other to both of those things. Even if that was the case and you were to say goaltending, isn't one of the main issues on this team, it's the defensive structure. It's the forwards, not being able to finish this, that, and the other, what are you doing for this guy's long-term future for his development, for his growth as an NHL netminder to run him out there repeatedly Night after night, not even night after night, because you're splitting time with UPL. You're not even giving him consistent starts. But what benefit is it to him to be playing behind a team that has all of these issues that, as these people are saying, are more important than goaltending? I'm not refuting that. But if you're of the belief that the defensive system is a mess, what are you doing playing Devin Levi when you know that that's going to stun his development, when you're also not even not that it's the right thing by any means, but it's not like you're like leaning into him playing and you're trying to get him a bunch of ice time so that he's uh, adapting or anything like that. Something that he would be doing at the AHL level. So that's the one issue there. And beyond that too, he's the best of the three goalies. Do we not see where this season is right now and where this is going you know, it's not as though him being in net is is providing them a spark or anything like that. And so, again, when it comes to goaltending, a, a position that obviously is so unique and it's so particular to the individual player when it comes to things like development track. But the, the fact of the matter is, though, is that historically speaking, goalies do not take this path in general, but they sure as hell don't take this path and, and ultimately end up working out. This could very much stunt a guy's growth. If he's going out there, he's he's going to get however many starts this year. What is he up to now? How many starts does Levi have? Do you have that handy, Taylor? I don't. He's played 19 games. So but... 19 games right now, and you're at the halfway point of the season. So he gets up to, we'll say, anywhere in the ballpark of like 35 to 40 starts potentially playing behind a bad defense, not playing every night on in a weird rotation with UPL, which quick side note, another thing to question about Granado. Why didn't UPL play after a 40 save performance on Saturday? Why wouldn't you give him Seattle? I digress yeah, on that. Days off. Right, right. I digress. But I'm just in awe here that anybody could really, I, I know people aren't like defending it, but like, refuting the fact that this is a horrible idea to be doing this there there were reservations about in the beginning of the year coming into this year we said in the off season if they're going to roll with him it could very much end up being a, a massive mistake because of the fact that you would for me i would rather be in a position where he starts off in rochester and he earns his way up as compared to him starting here things go south his confidence tanks his development, at least in the short term, is getting stunted to a degree. And then you have to go through the motions of sending him down. 
And then you have to worry about, okay, well, when he gets called up again, if he does have to, for whatever reason, then it's like, okay, well, what's, what are the circumstances going to be that are going to make you have to send him down again, if he's not playing good enough. And the blame here, tying back into the opening where we're saying that Adams is, is, you know, his blame in a way is independent of the issues that we're seeing on the ice as a result of the coaching, the players, decisions, whatever for Adams, it falls to him. And he rightfully should be getting ripped because he went into this year thinking that it was a suitable plan for this team with real playoff aspirations to have them lie on the shoulders of a 21 year old who has not proven in a sustained capacity that he's ready for the role that's being given to him, like completely given to him. And the last thing I'll say on it is we have in the past talked about this idea that, or the, uh, there was rumblings, I should say, that Levi's signing was contingent on him getting NHL games or being the being in the NHL, something along those lines. My resounding thought on that as we're watching this season slip away more and more is if a general manager of an NHL team is going to allow himself to be strong-armed by a 21-year-old and his agent as this very real opportunity at making the playoffs is slipping away. If you're allowing that to happen, then you just flat out should not be the general manager of an NHL team and you're not a leader of an organization by any stretch of the imagination. Is that harsh? Maybe, but I think it's fair given where we're at right now and how they are just pissing this thing away. So what do you yeah. make of all of this? Where do you stand on this, Taylor? Absolutely. I think I'm going to stand permanently on the he has to go down thing unless he goes on an insane run because we've said nice things about his performance recently, uh, but those have been not few and far between, but they've been inconsistent. I just happened to look when you were talking there about just I know their save percentages are bad, but what about their uh, goal saved versus average, which is just, you know, it takes into account where the shots are coming from, quality of shot, whatever. And they're both at basically an even zero, which is to say totally league average. UPL and Levi are very, very close to zero on a per-game basis, uh, which is to say <laughs> that they're doing the total average thing, which is important to keep in mind that they actually have started the year super well. Mm -hmm. And they have these games. They, they just had two of them in a row. They each had one in their their big two-game win streak where they each played a game, they each only allowed one goal, and they had a great game. And then Levi has this terrible game. So it's worth remembering that despite their good games and despite their good start, uh, that both of them are at, at totally at zero league average, like totally replaceable. So that's not the worst thing. It's better than last year, but it's still – it's pretty bad. So the point that Levi is not so much better than UPL, but better than Comrie, well, so far this year you'd have – you know, there's no argument. And same with last year. But that's not the point. The point isn't whether he deserves to be in the NHL based on whether he's one of the two best of these three bad goalies. It's three bad at the moment goalies. Uh, it's the point his development. The point is, what is he going to be like in three years? Is this good for him? I just don't see how it is. I don't – It. I think the, the important thing, one of the things that stood out to me the most that Jeff Merrick said – was what development path are you following? That's it's a good question without an answer. Mm -hmm. It's because what's most valuable for guys at this age is getting a lot of starts, as being a night to night goalie at a level that 
allows you, I guess, to transition and, and be able to kind of take those next steps. And you look at the comparable goalies in the league. We, we It's important to like, I know that everyone thinks that Levi is a unicorn, but like, even if you do want to think of it that way, you in any roster decision or construction, whatever, it's important to look at what is uh, giving people success around the league, what other teams are doing, what trends are, whatever. And I know in a vacuum, it sounds like, like we say young goalies at this level, 21 year olds don't start and it's not a good idea, blah, blah, blah. But even look at some of Levi's like closest counterparts. Like Jesper Wallstead is just making his first start tonight for Minnesota, his first career NHL start. Dustin Wolf, obviously they have Markstrom there, but he hasn't made his way up yet. And those two, Wallstead and Wolf, are probably the two best goalies outside of the NHL right now, like in terms of like consistently not in the NHL level. I know Askarov is up and down here and there with uh with Nashville, or he, he has gotten some starts and whatnot, but like all of these guys that are Levi's counterparts are the closest comparables for him. They are going about this development path the right way. And again, it has to be said that that is in large part because of the fact that those teams are set up with goalies that are allowing them to do that. And for Kevin Adams sake, it is an indictment of him that he's putting Levi in this position. This is, this falls on Kevin Adams at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, because they, they sent Levi down. He had a good game down there or two good games, whatever it was. Could have just stayed down there. Could have just done a playoff run with Rochester this year. Right. Not, right. oh, two games that look good, bring him back up. Like, And yeah. I get it, that was a circumstantial thing with UPL, but yeah. there was nothing keeping them from sending him back down. Yeah, absolutely. So, also... To, you mentioned these other goalies that are his contemporaries. It's also worth noting that there's nothing that he did in college that Connor Hellebuck like didn't do. You know what I mean? Yep. Like the the cool thing about Levi wasn't that oh my god he's doing this uh, totally unprecedented thing in college. It's like he's doing anything that's precedented, but has only been done by guys who ended up being very good NHL goalies to great NHL goalies. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the 21st century guys or the last 25 years, whatever it was, who have a similar save percentage season to him. And it's, it was Miller, Jimmy Howard, and Connor Hellebuck. So the, the, the cool thing is you can compare him to those guys. And we did this. We did this last year. Like, we've said this so many times. Those guys went to the AHL. Ryan Miller, we all know in Buffalo how much time he had in the AHL for various reasons. But you just do the more easy one-to-one comparison of Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck played just, what, six, seven years before Levi in college, maybe a little bit longer than that, eight years before Levi. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? He did a year and a half in the AHL. He did half a season where he was more or less the backup getting a lot of time. And then he was a full-time NHLer. That was the quick path. That's the quick path. This is what, this one of the big reasons why I think they have to just send Levi down and bring Comrie up or find a goalie. If you can find a goalie, I don't know how you would do that. But the biggest reasons I think they have to do that is because I think Levi, there's a good chance he should be in the AHL next year. Mm. He'll be 22 for the first half of next season. That's still really young for a goalie. That's still AHL age. Goalies leaving college after two years is pretty rare. It speaks volumes about the quality of goalie he is, obviously, and he left at the right time, in my opinion, but he left at the right time to do a year and a half or two years in the AHL. It was great that he got that 
experience last year. And whatever, if you want to say it was a mistake, you know, you made a mistake in bringing him up early this year and making him the starter, fine. You got to admit your mistake, and you have to start getting him on a regular development path for a goalie. And people one don't want to hear that, thing. that next year he should be doing that because they're saying, I don't want UPL and Comrie, whatever. I, the way I look at it right now, you should still be on the path to get a short-term 1A goalie. So a guy that will play 45 to 50 games or whatever next year. And UPL has been good enough to be your backup. Comrie, free agent, he'll be in the AHL next year. So not in Rochester probably. Yeah. So, yeah. That's that's still your goal. You're still you're, I don't know you can you can start now looking for a guy. You can look for teams like you just mentioned Wallstadt and Wolf. Well, you know what? Those teams have NHL goalies. Maybe they'd be looking to get rid of them. Uh maybe there's someone out there you want to take a flyer on. Whatever it is, Kevin, you're an NHL GM, it's time to get your goalie. It's not Devin Levi yet. You should hope Devin Levi's up in 2025. And if he is, consider that great cuz he'll be Starting the first half of that season, he'll be 23 years old. That'll be young to be in the NHL. But since he's such a quality player, probably good. You know, he's such a high a high level prospect. That's probably the time you should be planning for him to get up. If you get surprised sooner, that's great. But I don't. I can't believe you built this whole strategy around it. It's been wrong since last year when we talked about this. It's been almost a year of us saying that, and it's it's insane. We have to keep saying it. Well, I want to add to your Connor Hellebuck point some additional context that I think is important and even adds to your argument further. Hellebuck, his rookie year, he was 22 years old. This was in the 2015-2016 season with Winnipeg. Okay, as we're talking about it with that point that I made before of people saying things like, well, he's the best of the three goalies, what have you. In Hellebuck's case, when he was 22 and got his first taste of NHL experience, it's not as though this guy was backing up Patrick Waugh or anything like that. He ended up starting 26 games. As a rookie, really respectable numbers too. 918 save percentage. That's incredible for a 22-year-old rookie. Through 26 games, he was 13, 11, and 1. Okay, the other two goalies were Andrej Pavlik and Michael Hutchinson, who started 31 and 25 games respectively. Their save percentages, 904 and 907. Pavlik was 13, 13, and 4. Hutchinson was 9, 15, and 3. So it's not even like those guys are lighting the world on fire over there for Winnipeg. And they had the proof that, wow, okay, this guy is having a pretty good start to his career. He's young, 22 years old, 918 save percentage. That's that's pretty damn solid. That being said, they did not immediately hand him the reins, even when he was the one in the room that was very obviously considered the best among the three. So right. that even adds further to the, the the parallel there between the two that you got to do right by this guy's development. But again, even with Hallibuck, I think the other side of it too, you have to go further with it because then there's the additional context that yes, he had 26 games. And when it comes to Levi, one of the arguments is that, well, you want to get him as many games as possible. So you should play him more, but he already had the experience of the year and a half in the AHL that he could have afforded to be an everyday backup like that. Yep. Whereas Levi doesn't have that. So it's not as though Levi is sitting on the bench, you know, for 55 games out of the year and he's doing it in a learning capacity because he already had proved himself at the below level. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything to hang his hat on and, and making the jump from college to the NHL as a goalie. Let me tell you, fourth liners on an NHL team are shooting a lot harder and a lot more accurately than fourth liners on a D one team, no matter how good the school is. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, another comparison people want to bring up is Carter Hart, who basically uh, he he came up at age twenty. Age twenty season, he made thirty starts and was good. His age twenty one season, he made forty three starts and was good. And then he was an eight seventy seven in year three, eight seventy seven save percentage. Over twenty seven games, they had to stop starting him, and that was one of the things that kind of led to Philadelphia's decline. But you know, he's been solid since then. But the intervening years, he was nine oh five, which is league average in twenty twenty one twenty two. Then he was nine oh seven, which is barely above league average. This is so that was three straight full seasons where his overall save percentage. I don't. I can't do the math in my head that quick. But eight seventy seven, nine oh five, nine oh seven. It's below nine hundred over a three year period. And this year, it's good again. He's still only twenty five, which is great. But kind of gets to that point of how inconsistent guys at that age are, even if you're someone like Carter Hart and showed a lot more than Levi did at the pro level. Right. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great comparison as well. It's frustrating to say the least. And it's something that will be top of mind for all Sabres fans as we move forward through the rest of the season and see what Adams ultimately ends up doing with that situation it would be something if he ends up just riding it out and and maintaining the status quo right now with UPL and Levi alternating starts like that. I just, just the, the warning signs were there. The, the obvious reservations were there. And at the same time, you knew that you were on the, the precipice of having the best opportunity to make the playoffs coming into a season in years. And you didn't do anything. You, you didn't even try and do anything Granted, you know, we use the analogy of like, oh, well, what are you going to go out and sign Jonas Corpisalo? Like, look how good that's working out. But at the same time, L.A. went out and got Cam Talbot and look how good that actually is working out for them. Yep, it, they at least did something and went for it. Yeah, no one on this podcast had to get Jonas Corpisalo. Exactly. But we did look at guys, so we could have been wrong. Anti Ranta, that would have been wrong. He looks terrible. Yeah, Frederick- and eh, who knows he's heard i mean but i will eat the anti-ranta one for sure like i yeah but we, we, we talked about names like tristan jari and guys like that in the offseason like I mean, we, we you know it was it, we none of us were saying corpus Allo. tell no. it who knows God, no. I mean, tell it could go either way i would have been fine with that nobody um, was saying but, corpus Allo, and especially not when that money came out before he even put on the goddamn jersey it was yeah. immediately like that's not even like a, a a thought at all. Yeah, it's crazy. Even if though. it was like a one year, like not a lot of money thing, that's something. It's like, oh, you need a body, but like at that money, of course not. That's not even in the stratosphere of being <laughs> any anything that at least any anything reasonable that we said. Yeah, the whole point was we were going to get you know, overpay a guy for the short term. Or maybe you could get a guy for five years if it's good. Corpusalo definitely, I don't think he fell into either of those, actually, in my opinion. I no interest in him. I think he was, he's, he has kind of a different thing than the guys we have who are inexperienced. He's uh, a lot of experience of being bad. Yeah. Uh, but I want to mention one of the best free agent goalie soundings of the offseason. Got to hand it to him, Jonathan Quick. What the hell? <laughs> 9 15 and 14 games. Obviously, he's a backup. I mean, but, I guess it helps playing for a good team. Sure does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, any other thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor? Yeah, another guy to send down. Ryan Johnson, if you're not going to play him. What the hell, dude? Thank you for bringing that up. 
what are they're unserious they're not a serious organization it's a crazy decision they they had jacob bryson as a guy that they know is not really the future and is a quad a guy he just sit in the press box all the time and they're like well we better send him down to make room which is whatever you do that when you need to make room and now ryan johnson's that guy crazy makes no sense and this guy should be in the ahl if you're not going to play him but honestly he can play in the nhl problem is i don't know how they want to remake their own honestly i was i was talking through it last night i ran into my friend jeff at the game and i was like they got to redo these pairings even with delina underperforming he's still good same with power like they're still worth playing but i was thinking about it, i was like who the hell else is going to play in the top four like kind of thing samuelson <laughs> needs to be sat down once or twice clifton and johnson out there last night oh my god they look so lost it it it's somehow worse in person it it's insane how how lost they look uh and then they just have no interest in playing Ryan Johnson. So I feel like now that I'm talking through this, I don't know. They should probably just waive Eric Johnson. Which you got to is... have experiences uh, in, in all that to be a good veteran and help bring the team along. And everyone got worse. Clearly it didn't work. It's not his fault or anything, but he's very bad. He's not an NHL level guy. It's tough to waive a guy with that level of career, but you're not going to waive the guy that you have, I don't know, three, two, two and a half years left on the contract with. Right. So I'm going to do that to Ryan Johnson. Also, just accept this. You throwing your hands up in the air and saying the season's over. Ryan Johnson's down until someone's hurt. I'll accept it. Yeah. I but Well, I think that's the thing is that the Levi and Johnson situations are two sides of the same coin for me, where when dealing with young players like this and how you go about managing them, there's, there's either two options. You're going to focus on on the one hand doing right by their development path and what you think that is, or the other is you think that this guy can compete now and you want them on your roster to help you win right now. In Devin Levi's case, they want him on the roster to win right now, but it's not working. And so they're not doing right by his development path with Johnson. They have him on the roster right now. He is good when he's out there, but they're not playing him. So they're both not, getting any of his contributions out of him, but they're also in the same breath, not doing right by his development path. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, it really is a double-edged sword. Like you said, it's God. It's so fun to talk about the Sabres. We love the Sabres folks. We love KBC. I think I am developing gray hairs because of them. We're five years into this now. And I think it's a miracle that it's taken this long, but there has to be some kind of, effect on my physical health that this team just inflicts upon me year after year. And I let them, I let them, I'm a 29 year old man and I let them. You let them. I let them. Eat Arby's. Yeah. We love it. Delicious roast beef. All right, Taylor, any recommendations you want to give? Yeah. Don't eat fast food roast beef. (laughs) That's what I can get behind too. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Make sure you are checking out all of our fellow shows and make sure you're following both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on social media. That would be Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you could also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of whatever app you're using to currently listen to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, we would very, very much appreciate it if you would 
subscribe and or follow us depending on your streaming platform of choice and leave us a nice little rating or review. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, folks. Buckle up. This has been Straight Up Sabres. (laughs) 